Friends, I think it's uh, just easy for us to assume that love of God and love of neighbor necessarily go together. For us who have been sort of raised in the Christian faith and we hear these things said together, I, it's just easy for us to assume that they're just two sides of the same coin, that love of God and love of neighbor are intrinsically linked. But it's definitely not self-evident and obvious to many people throughout history and even today. Right? In much of the ancient world, in the time of Jesus, it would have been very conceivable to say that I love God or the gods, but to not necessarily have that lead to loving neighbor. And the particular way that that manifests itself was I don't have to love certain neighbors. Right? This is why Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? He poses the question, who is your neighbor? Because people restricted the neighbor to certain people. So love your neighbor became, I can love God and just love certain neighbors. Jesus says, no, in fact, everyone is your neighbor. Today it's the flip. Right? Many people today would say that I can love my neighbor to the fullest extent possible without love of God. That love of God is not necessary in any intrinsic way in order for me to love my neighbor to the fullest. And so I think it's important that we uh, sort of describe why they are linked for us, why Jesus links them, why he says these are the two greatest commandments. You've got to do both of these things. So I want, to, I want to draw out their, their connection a little bit and draw out some implications from what love of neighbor and love of God actually means. First, let's start with love of God. Why do we have to love God the most? Seems strange. We can't even see God. Why do we have to love God the most? Because the movement of love tends toward the measure of goodness we perceive in the other thing. This is why we love some people more than others. Right? And we definitely do. Right? Some people tell me, I love everyone equally. I don't believe the word they say. Right? We, we, love, we love people, some people more than others. And the measure of goodness takes a lot of different forms. It could be the natural bonds of affection uh, of your family. Right? You love your parents more than you love your friend's parents. Even though your friend's parents were probably cooler, right, in high school, you know? You always liked your friend's parents better than your parents, right? But really, you love your parents more than you love your friend's parents. So maybe the measure of goodness is the shared interests of friendship. You love your friends better than you, more than you love your acquaintances. Because there's a, a measure of goodness in that shared interest that you perceive in the other Maybe it's the uh, attractiveness of romance, right? We love our lovers more than our non-lovers. So there's a, the movement of love is toward the measure of goodness that we perceive in the other, which is why God has to be loved the most, because God is perfect goodness. God is goodness in itself. He's the ground and source of all goodness. And therefore, God must be loved above all things. Else is a sharing in his goodness. Therefore, we must love the source of that goodness the most. But it's precisely because everything else shares in that goodness that we have to love our neighbor. 
See, that's how the logic follows from the two greatest commandments. It's because God has created everything in his image that everything bears, all people bear the stamp of the divine image, that we there's a moral imperative to love what is God in the other. It's kind of like doing a favor for a friend of a friend. Right? So, you know, this happens all the time to me. Somebody will say, hey, I need you to do this for my friend. Well, I don't know the friend from Adam. I mean, I like the friend, you know? But it's like the person telling me to do this, I trust, I like. They say this would be a really good thing. And so I do this for the friend of my friend. That's kind of how love of neighbor works. It's like I trust God. God told me that you bear the stamp of the divine image. And even though I really can't see it in you, I have to love you. I have to. And so love of neighbor flows from the belief that God has created each person and that there's a likeness in the other that is because God created them. There's a natural logic to this, too, because we can't see God, but we see our neighbor. Right? First John says this. John says in First John, he says, How can you love the God you don't see, but love the, and not love the neighbor that you do see? How can you not, how can you love, say you love the God you, do, you can't see, but not love the neighbor that you do see? In other words, the logic is that, yes, I can't see God, but I can see God's likeness in you. Or I'm told to see God's likeness in you, even when I can't necessarily see it. So here's a, here's a phrase, it's a mouthful. We are called to love what is unlovable in our neighbor, precisely because our neighbor shares in the lovableness of God. We are called to love what is unlovable in our neighbor precisely because our neighbor shares in the lovableness of God. I had to say that like a hundred times in the shower this morning. <laughs> so we love our neighbor as a result of them being, because, see, if, if, if we didn't know that theologically, we would just love the people that we have a natural movement to love. We just love our family and our friends and our lovers. Right? Everyone else, the stranger, the enemy, right? that's the, the highest version of this, loving your enemy. Loving the person who you find absolutely unlovable. We wouldn't love them. I, probably, I, def, I don't think without the Christian incentive of knowing that they are, there is something of the likeness of God in them despite the fact that I can't see it and I find them utterly unlovable, I don't know what would make me love them other than Jesus tells me I have to. We would only love the natural bonds of affection. We could never raise our love to the level of love of enemies, love of strangers, without the belief that they bear the image of God. What are some implications for this? Loving God the most. See, this works because God is not some good thing in the world. He's the ground of goodness. It works because 
there are some, I think some people think it's a zero-sum game. The more I give the love of God, the less that I can give in love to others. That's not how it works, because God is goodness itself. So every time I love God, I'm loving, I should be loving the rest of his creation more as well. It's not like if I love God more, I'm going to love my spouse less, or love God more, I'm going to love my friends less. I love God more, I'm going to love, I'm going to take something away from my bank account. Though it might, I don't mind that, for sure. But no, because God is the ground of goodness, when we love God, we start to love more the goodness and the likeness that we see of God in other things. What does love of God look like, practically? Right? It looks really different. It looks like these saints. Right? It's hard to say there's a perfect playbook. Does it look like the, the majority of your time in the day being spent in prayer? Probably not, unless you're a monk. Right? Love of God is not primarily shown for most people through direct conversation with God in prayer. That's an aspect of it and shouldn't be denied. Jesus models that for us right? by going off for specific times strategically to pray in intimate union with his Father. But that can't be the essence of love of God because we all know in our daily life we spend a lot more time right, doing other things, which we have to do. So people often confess the first commandment in confession, which is good, because we probably all break it all the time. But I'll often say, like, what do you think love of God means? And they'll say, well, um, I'm spending more time on homework than on God. It's like, you should be. Okay? Like, you should be. Like, you should be loving God through your homework. Uh, right? You're, you're loving God by... by by using your potential to excel in, in the opportunities that are presented before you. And I love that image. A lot of Jesuit schools, they'll teach you to, um, uh, they'll, they'll put AMDG at the top of every uh, note or paper. Do you do that St. John? Yeah. I, this girl I dated in college, she went to a, a Jesuit uh, high school in Phoenix. And I was studying with her, and she wrote AMDG at the top of every page. I was like, what is this? some secret code that I'm supposed to know about? But of course, it's ad majorum dei gloriam, for the, for the glory of God. So that even in our studies, right, even in our careers, even in our family life, right, it's for the greater glory of God. And we show love of God through loving other people and seeing the likeness of God the most difficult to see the likeness of God in. So love of God is very and how it plays itself out in our everyday life. What about love of neighbor? Um, love of neighbor, again, I would say the true test is if we can love those we find unlovable. Right? We have a natural bond with certain people that's going to make it easier to love them. Can we love the people that we find unlovable? Right? Just on a natural level, we just don't like them, right? or they've done things to hurt us, or whatever find it really difficult to love them. Can we find God's likeness in them? That's like really, really hard. Can we believe and treat them as if they do bear the stamp of the divine image? Again, how does that practically play out uh, in terms of love of neighbor? Um, I don't know. 
it's again a matter of kind of prudence and discernment. Like, am I always supposed, do I have to always confront somebody about their unlovableness? Well, probably sometimes. But at other times, we're probably supposed to just kind of coexist with somebody's unlovableness so that they know the unconditional love of God. Right? But other times, yeah, maybe we have to confront somebody about their unlovableness. What's making them unlovable to people? Right? But other times, I think we're called to just be with somebody's unlovableness. Precisely so over time, they can realize the unconditional love of God. Notice, too, that the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Presumes a kind of love of self for you to adequately love your neighbor. Right? And that would be a lot to talk about. But the one aspect of this in this context is if you're not patient with your own unlovableness, you will not be able to love the unlovableness in others. Right? So loving yourself part, partially, it's not the totality of self-love, but partially it's being honest and open about your own things that make you unlovable and difficult to love not fully recognizing the love in you and being patient with yourself as you work through that. Because only when that perspective, when you have that perspective spiritually, are you able to approach the other with the, the sense like, I don't have to correct everything in you at all times. I can be patient with the, the areas of you that are also unlovable. So friends, I think these, uh, for us, these commandments are intrinsically linked. A love of God and loving our neighbor. You get, I mean, it's, it's true that a person that doesn't love God can love their neighbor to a, to a certain extent, right? And no one disputes that, I don't think. Um, but I, for us, I think it gives us an extra incentive, an extra inner logic to why we're called to love our neighbor and might just be the thing that gets us over the edge to be able to try and love somebody that we find really, really difficult to love, which is the call of loving your enemies uh, and others. So friends, let's ask for the grace. These, these commandments are really hard. They seem really simple. But they're really hard to live out. Let's ask for the grace in this sacrament uh, of the Eucharist to be able to have the grace to love God with everything that we are, with all of our heart, mind, and soul and strength to love our neighbor as ourselves.